compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church, and now, here's Pastor Stephen Alby. So I just want to welcome you here. And my friends, as I, I'll admit, as I was preparing the sermon, I had the hardest time finding a really good opening illustration. And for those of you who, who don't know me or to maybe give you a little insight into the sermon writing process, or at least my sermon writing process, I love to have like that initial uh, illustration, just something to kind of connect with you guys. Anytime uh, I feel the Lord is calling me to, to preach on a certain topic or a certain message, I always want it to connect. I want to make sure that it connects with you guys. And usually the best way to do that is through some kind of an example or some kind of story. And I was just racking my brain trying to figure this out. I joked that, you know, I should have a book of like 101 illustrations for dummies. It would be a perfect thing for me to use. But I couldn't find any illustration. I couldn't find anything that would connect this. So I do what I always do when I can't think of words or when I have difficulty. I go to my wife. And I talked to her for about five minutes to see if some, some dots would connect. And of course, she reminded me of something. She's really good at this. She said to me, she said, well, the sermon is going to be about graduation and transition. And she said, interestingly, we're going through something similar. She said, well, we're not graduating from anything. We're in a time of transition ourselves. Now, before you start jumping to conclusions... I want to assure you that one, we have no plans to leave. I could see a mixture of shock and relief, and I'm not gonna say who was who. And right now, our family isn't growing. There's a little bit of relief on my face, but just wanted to make sure as I looked out here that I, I didn't want to get anyone's hopes up or down depending on the one, and I'll let you decide which one was the more hopeful of the two. But the transition that I'm actually talking about here is the beginning of our fourth year in ministry here. Now, my father-in-law, who's been a pastor for 25 years, told us when we first moved out here that the first three years are going to be the hardest. And for many of you, if you've started a job, the first three years is actually usually the more difficult time. You get into the rhythms of things. You start to understand the culture. You, uh, it takes a while to really get into that rhythm. But after those three years, things start to, to come around. The ideas that you had can start to be implemented even further. People start to trust you more. You're able to build those relationships. And I've noticed this. I don't know if you guys can tell, but my stress level is so much less now than it was like three years ago. Especially when I remember the very first missions trip that we did here. And now, mind you, this was the first missions trip that I had ever organized. And this was to Chicago. And I see a couple who were actually on that first trip where not only did we have a van towed, um, came out from uh, uh, KFC to find that our van was no longer there, it had been impounded. And I don't know if you get anything impounded in Chicago, but it's expensive. It was gone for five minutes, literally five minutes, and it cost like $500 to get it back. So had that happen. And then uh, at our uh, fun time at um, the Kalahari Resort in Wisconsin Dells, I lost my wedding ring. And this was all not even three months after being married on the first trip, and by God's grace alone, neither of those things have happened again. I have this thing super glued to my finger, and we always make sure to park where we're supposed to. But I can, I can guarantee that there are some of you here who can sympathize with that. And while I definitely want to make sure that this is a Sunday that we celebrate those who are graduating, I want to make sure that this message isn't just for them. 
This message is for all of us. This message is for those of us going through any time of graduation and transition. Now today being the graduation Sunday, I would like to take a quick moment. If we have any of our seniors um, who, I guess, technically aren't seniors anymore, who are now going to be either college freshmen or moving on to that next stage of life, if, you're, if you have graduated, could you just stand real quick so we could acknowledge you? If you don't want to, that's okay, but there we go. Yes, all in a row. I love this. Thank you, guys. I love how you planned that out. You're seriously right in a line. It's so great. Um, and I know, like, a lot of our students, um, you know, commencement for many of our schools is today. So I'm thankful that you guys were able to come and, and celebrate here with us as well. And I want to thank you so much for all of the graduation parties I've been able to attend, especially those featuring Grandma's secret cookie recipe. And you can't say no to Grandma's secret cookie recipe. Every time I go to these, they're like, oh, you have to try this cookie, you have to try this cake. And yeah, I'm going to need to run a lot this next week. But now I also want to make sure that we acknowledge that there are other graduations, there are other times. If, if any of you are graduating from elementary school to junior high, and you're in here right now, I want to acknowledge you guys. Yes, we have one. Yay. <laughs> and a couple more. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Same as those who are graduating from junior high into senior high, if we have any. I know I'm expecting there to be a bunch of kids in here, and I know it's early and it's cold, and I'm amazed there's as many of you here as there are. But, um, and then finally, any college graduates that I may have overlooked. All right, well, for those of you who are experiencing some sort of transition in life, we won't go into every single one, but I know that there are some of us in here who are either continuing on in your schooling, maybe it's been many, many years and you've decided to maybe go back to school to get a degree. Maybe you've decided to pursue that master's or that doctorate. Maybe there are some of you who are experiencing a, a wonderful promotion that is a, a graduation in a sense from one position to another. Or maybe you're entering into a marriage or maybe you're having children or maybe you're even just settling into a new season and an established job. My friends, every single one of these changes, every single one of these transitions should be met the same way. Many times there come two stages when it comes to these transitions. The first one that I definitely want to talk about this morning is celebration. My friends, first and foremost, this is a celebration. Every one of you who's graduating from something has something incredible to celebrate. Don't let the, the memes that tell you that high school is the easiest part of your life or whatever, don't let that get you down. You guys have accomplished something that many people don't. It kind of seems given anymore that a person's going to graduate high school, but a lot of people don't. So those who have stuck through it and those who have endured deserve some, some acknowledgement, deserve to celebrate. Now I think this is interesting because I know it's odd that I need to tell you to celebrate. You should all be pretty good at celebrating, but I find it interesting that in Christianity, a lot of the times we have this kind of different image of what Jesus looked like. Sometimes I feel like, I don't know, can, can any of you, is it odd to picture Jesus laughing? Is it kind of odd to picture Jesus celebrating? I feel like sometimes we have this austere image of Jesus. Maybe it's from all the paintings that we've seen or like the medieval paintings where he just, he's always sad. He's always somber. He's always looking off in the distance. He's not smiling. He's not having a good time. He's always perfectly clean and white and he just kind of floats everywhere. It's just this, this idea that we get 
that makes us feel like, oh, like for me to truly celebrate, I can't, I can't enjoy it because, you know, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, the object of Christianity, Jesus, so often is portrayed as one who is very serious. He's very somber. But yet, I don't see that in scripture. I don't know if you guys were aware of this, but Jesus celebrated so much that it annoyed people. He had such a great time that people accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard. He had to defend himself numerous times saying, hey, John the Baptist came along and played you guys a funeral dirge and you didn't respond. I come playing a song of celebration and you still won't respond. Apparently, you guys just are impossible to please. But Jesus celebrated. He had fun. He enjoyed. He actually told jokes. I think it's interesting when you see some of the things that he calls the Pharisees, I think it would be hard for the disciples to stifle their laughter. To be like, oh man, do you hear what he called him? I've been wanting to call him that for years. And Jesus gives us this example of how incredible it is to celebrate. He laughed often. I can't imagine what the sound of Jesus' laughter would be. Although sometimes I do get it in my head when I do something really stupid. I wonder if that's Jesus like kind of joking with me a little bit. But the passage we're going to focus on this morning starts in Mark 3. I want you guys to turn in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, one, you should totally take that Bible in the pew in front of you. It's yours as a gift. Um, we have plenty, as you can see. Uh, but please, if you don't have a Bible to call your own, take one of those. That is our gift to you. Um, but also, if uh, you don't want to, if you have too much stuff in your hands, if you're holding a child and you're trying to juggle everything, the words will be on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. We're going to be in verses three, or in chapter three, verses seven through eleven. Before we get there, I'll set it up a little bit for you. I think this passage really illustrates how life is for the Christian, or how it should be at least. Jesus was starting to gather an incredible following because he was performing tons of miracles, he was healing, he was teaching, and people were starting to really understand who this man was. And this atmosphere was just buzzing. Everybody wanted to get so close to Jesus. And we'll see here it actually caused a dangerous situation. But this is the celebration time. This is the time in the transition of Jesus' ministry where everything is going great where everybody is around him and they're thinking, this man can do everything. This man is the most amazing man we've ever seen. He has done things I never even knew were possible. And they're just incredibly joyful in this. So join with me in, starting in verse 7 here. It says this, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. My friends, this is the height of the spiritual mountaintop. There is not... I mean, I've been in some pretty awesome church services here and like this just destroys them all in the sense that everyone is just seeing God work and move powerfully. The crowd is seeing things they've never dreamed of. Jesus is healing people. He is speaking truth in a way that has never been explained to them before. People are understanding this word in new ways because they no longer have to read it or have it interpreted by a person but by the author himself. Even the unclean spirits acknowledge that Jesus is God here. No longer do people have to fear the possession of a demon, but they see that even, even these spirits we don't understand bow 
to the name of Christ. My friends, if you were one of Jesus' disciples here, I hope you would be fired up. This would be a never-ending party. The crowds would be amazing. But yet, as we go a little further in the story, what we see is what happens so often in life. What happens when that party does end? We see when something else looms large in the distance. Maybe something doesn't change in our current situation, but maybe there's that thing that's, that's waiting for us out here. The next day of, stage of life brings its challenges, and we see these challenges, and we worry about them. Maybe it becomes more real that you're actually going to be moving away. Or maybe the reading requirements for your new classes seem a little longer than you thought. Maybe you begin to wonder if you took the right job. Maybe you begin to wonder if you're engaged to the right person or if this next stage is going to be everything you hoped it would be. And my friends, this happens very often and this is the second stage of any major transition and it happens for most of us. The second stage of any major transition can be fear or anxiety. And it seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? It seems like when we're having this great party, we're having so much fun, everything is going well, and then all of a sudden, it hits. And if we're honest, if you've experienced this time, that's how it is. There's no rhyme or reason. There's no warning for it. Oftentimes, all of a sudden, just the weight of everything that's about to happen descends upon you. And the fear, it can come from that. Now, I want you to know this is incredibly common. This happens to everybody. And it's said that the greater the distance between your expectation and reality is disappointment. If you expected something that was going to be so much greater than it ended up being, that gap is going to be the level of your disappointment. Now, there's an opposite where sometimes you expect low and what happens is so much greater. Then obviously that's not disappointment, that's elation and that's a wonderful thing. But I don't know if I've just not had enough uh, transitions in my life, but it seems to me that the fear and anxiety happens a lot more than the elation happens. Let's just be honest. Now, while most of the time this stage can be minor and the fear and the doubt gets dismissed quickly, it's pretty easy to say, okay, yeah, like, I'm not going to know who my roommates are going to be. I don't know who is going to be at my next job or what tasks are going to be required of me, but I'll figure it out when I get there. But sometimes it can be a lot greater. You might be shaken even more. This is maybe where you begin to wonder if that next phase of life is as good as you had hoped. Or maybe you'll be moving to another town or even another state or a country, and you wonder if you'll be able to get the same things that you enjoyed or, or what the differences are going to be. I mean, even if you're staying here, even if a new job or going off to college requires you to stay in state, your routines are going to change. You'll have more freedom in your schedule. Your schedule is probably going to change if it's a job transition. In college, your classes might become more and more specialized as you start to figure out kind of what you want to do and you have to start saying no to other things in order to say yes to some things. And hopefully, through all of this, you're going to learn more and more about yourself as an adult. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. But while this is all exciting things, there's also a sense of being overwhelmed and how easily these things can stir up anxiety. And now once we're often experienced with this anxiety, we're left with this choice. And I say it's a choice because it must be intentional. Do we trust God in the midst of our emotion or will we let that emotion sway our decisions? Do we trust God in the midst of our emotion or do we let that emotion sway our decisions? 
We're going to skip a little bit ahead in the passage here. We're going to move on to Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. This is actually the same day. So they haven't even had a chance to sleep on it yet. This is the exact same day as what happened earlier. Jesus is actually hanging out. Um, He's been teaching. He's been healing. A lot of things have been going on. And then we get to this this interesting story. Some of you might be familiar with it, but listen to it in terms of, of this going from incredible joy and party to a sense of fear and anxiety. So join with me, chapter 4, this verse 35. And it says, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took, with him, they took him and with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, do you know somebody, maybe it's you, who gets really emotionally involved when they read a book or watch a movie? Like the type where like they are on the edge of their seats and like are genuinely concerned about the, the main character of the story, right? Really, really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm this way. I think a good story should really pull you in. A good story should really get you emotionally involved. And if I don't have that connection right away, I kind of have a hard time with the rest of the story. What's interesting is that sometimes when I get really fired up and I'm really in, in excited about a story, or like I start really freaking out that like the main character's gonna die or something like that, a lot of times somebody will have to remind me, dude, it's the main character. Like the movie's named after them. I don't think they're gonna die 10 minutes in. And what's interesting is that sometimes I forget that this story here is a historical account, that it's not just like a fictional story, because that voice will come into my head. That same voice that tells me not to worry because you have the main character in the story and he's not going to die is the same voice that's like, disciples, what are, what are you worried about here? You have the main character of the story in the boat. Like, I think you'll be fine. But what we forget is that they didn't know that. They didn't know they were in a story. It's a historical account. But it's interesting because we can get down on the disciples and be like, this is Jesus. This is the son of God that you have in your boat with you. And yeah, the, the waves are crashing and everything is going on. But for crying out loud, like he's Jesus. Didn't you just see him heal a bunch of people? Didn't you just see him command demons? Like, why are you so worried? He's asleep for crying out loud. Like, I, I'm sure he's not too worried about it. But what's interesting is that as we do this, I always think, maybe you think the same, that there's no way I'd act like that. If I had Jesus in my boat, I'd think, oh yeah, whatever comes, we're going to be fine. Whatever happens, he's going to take care of us. But now, imagine you were actually on the boat. Imagine you were actually in the boat with the disciples as that sky darkens, as the wind increases and you're far from the shore. Then the skies suddenly open. And a deluge of water just floods into your boat. You can't see because of all the wind and the rain. Thunder is rolling above you and maybe lightning is crashing mere feet away from the boat. It's the kind of storms that often came up on this kind of sea. They were, they were hard to predict and they were almost impossible to navigate. Now your mind tells you if you don't do your job perfectly that you are going to die and maybe if you mess up, you're going to cause the death of your beloved teacher, Jesus. 
Maybe he, you know, is, this is going to happen so quickly that he didn't have time to wake up. And if you don't do your job right, then everything you just saw happen could be destroyed. As much as, you would like to, as much as I would like to say that I would remain calm in this situation, I wouldn't. I'd be freaked out too. And if we're honest, you probably would be as well. I mean, it's amazing how often uh, we're in these different situations and we see like everyone around us panicking. And even though we, don't, we know for a fact there's no reason to panic, you start to panic. You start to freak out. You start to worry. Like we would know in our, in our head that Jesus is powerful, but everything that we see and our emotions would pull us a completely different way. All of the others in the boat would be running around, trying to steady it, yelling at one another, and the whole situation would be so chaotic. And yet what I love about this story is that it shows us both the wrong way and the right way to handle the storms of life. We can either act like the disciples, or we can run to Jesus. And if we're honest, it's very easy to feel or to let these storms of life take our focus off to what we know to be true and shift it to what we feel to be true. I say that again, it's very easy for the storms of life to take us from what we know to be true and have us focus on what we feel to be true. The disciples knew that Jesus was powerful, but when that storm was raging, it didn't feel like he was. It felt like the storm was far more powerful. They knew in their heads that this Jesus has cared for them and would protect them, but as everyone around them screamed danger, their emotions came up and they started to panic. How often are we this way? I know oftentimes I feel the same. We know that we have a loving God who cares about us, but in the midst of a lost job or a scary diagnosis, maybe it's a lot easier to forget that God cares for us. Maybe we know that God wants our best, but when things don't turn out the way that we want, it's hard to feel like he wants our best question for you is when do you run to Jesus? Is it after you've tried everything else on your own? Is it after you, like the disciples, did everything they could to try to steady the boat and then, oh, as a last resort, maybe we should talk to Jesus? Or do you run to him first? It doesn't say this in the text, but I wonder from inference if Jesus would have spared them a lot of fear and anxiety if they would have just gone to him first. If they would have gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, there's some clouds forming, there's some lightning going on, we're a little worried think there's anything you can do, and then Jesus probably would have been like, oh yeah, totally, sweet, son, and then go back to sleep. It would have been great. The disciples could have saved themselves so much strife, so much panicking, running around, if they would have just gone to Jesus first. It's a lesson for each and every one of us. When we experience anxiety and we're looking around for the answer, we're trying to figure out what is going to solve our problems here, and we run to everything else. Maybe we think, okay, maybe I just need to take a nap. Maybe I need to take a break, but so often, the one that is waiting to give us peace and hope is standing right there. We just have to trust. My friends, the answer when we face anxiety is trust. Jesus tells us a lot about what trusting God looks like. And for this, we're actually going to jump back a book. We're going to go to Matthew 6. This is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, mostly because I need to read it daily. If I could get it tattooed on the inside of my eyelids and I could actually see it, that would be awesome. Because I need to see it constantly. We're in Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to break it up a little bit here. But Jesus says this, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and is not the body more than clothing? 
And I love this is that Jesus is saying here that he is totally aware of our anxiety. It's not new to him. It's not scary to him. He doesn't condemn us for it. He understands it. He knows exactly why we're anxious. But instead of condemning our anxiety, he reminds us of the truth. Let's look a little bit further here. Where he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into an oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I want to unpack this a little bit more. Because sometimes anxiety can be created by a misunderstanding of our value. It can come from forgetting who we are and what God has created us for. What Jesus is saying here is that you are of much more value than the rest of creation. And I don't want to puff any of you up. This is just true. It's in scripture. In Genesis, when God created, everything else that he created ended with a proclamation that it was good except humanity. When he created humanity, he added extra emphasis and said it is very good. Humanity is the crowning jewel of creation. God waited until everything else had been created, until he created humanity. Humanity is the only ones who are, we are the only ones in all of creation who are given responsibility over creation. God had given us this world to steward and to enjoy. Ultimately, God also gave us something. He gives nothing else in all of creation. He created us unique in that we bear the image of God. We bear his image. And as much as I, as a teenager, wished I was an angel, because they seemed really cool, we actually have something better than the angels here. The image of God is not something that was given to angels or any other created being, but is given only to humanity. I think this is important to remember because when we find it hard to trust God or when we really feel anxious, we need to remember what God sees about us. Because oftentimes it's different than what we see about us. I say this often because I think it's true. A lot of us when we wake up in the morning don't look in the mirror and think valuable. We don't look in the mirror and think the pinnacle of creation. We don't look in the mirror and think that we're worth everything that God says we're worth. It's easy to do. My friends, each and every one of you, if you struggle with this understanding of value, whether it causes you anxiety or if it's just something, a burden that you carry, for whatever reason, run to the Lord and understand that he has created you. You have value simply because you were created. We say this on Wednesdays uh, a lot of the time, probably to where the students are sick of me saying it, but you have value simply by being created. If God didn't want you here, he wouldn't have created you. So if you are here right now, that means you have value and you have purpose. And I'm assuming that all of you are here right now. That's it. I mean, you don't have to earn it. You don't have to do something to gain your value. The image of God is not something that is earned through prayer or through conversion. It's something that is given to every created human. And what I love about this is that it's not just that God said, I created you. It's a seal of approval. 
It's God saying that humanity, even with all of its faults, even with all of its sin, even with all of those things that you don't like about yourself, God is saying you are perfect in my eyes in the sense that I have given you my image. You are the only one in all of creation who is worth this honor. Everyone is created this way and deserves to be treated with love and respect as God's creation. Every human being has the image of God. I think this is interesting that in Genesis 9-6, the only reason given that a person should not murder is simply because humans have the image of God. To murder another person is to insult God by attacking his image, in a sense. The reason that we are called not to murder one another is because we have the image of God. It is because we have value in God's eyes. A value that is above every other created being. So as we move on in this Matthew passage here, understanding this, this value, this intrinsic worth that each of us have, Jesus reminds us again, therefore, do not be anxious. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. My friends, the same Jesus who tells us not to worry is not a Jesus who is immune from worry or immune from anxiety. We see when he was in the garden at Gethsemane, he prayed with a fervency and an anxiety and a worry before the Lord. He asked God to take this cup from him for he knew what the cup was. He knew the cross laid before him and he bent his knees and he prayed so hard that blood dripped from his forehead. This is another instance where Jesus doesn't stand ready to condemn you and make fun of you for being anxious but he says, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. Do what I did. Trust in the Father. Pray. Anxiety about the future is not sinful, my friends. It's human. It's something that we all struggle with. It's something we all worry about because we don't know the future. When Jesus prayed so hard, he was unlike us in the sense that he trusted his father fully and he didn't let those emotions change what he knew he had to do. With us, it's different. It's very easy for us to wrestle with our emotions and allow them to guide our decisions. The problem is, is when we allow them to guide our decisions alone instead of functioning the way they're supposed to, which is alongside our reason and alongside counsel of others. When it is so easy for us to rely on emotions which do change, what Jesus is teaching us here is to rely on the truth which never changes. That God will always take care of us. He will always care for us, whether or not we feel it in the moment. So what stage are you in right now? Maybe you're celebrating the end of one season of life. Jesus celebrates with you. You should enjoy this time. If there are any more graduation parties, you should totally go. You should enjoy them and you should have fun at these. But maybe you're, you're in another stage. Maybe you're worried about an upcoming season. You find yourself wrestling with doubt. Maybe you have a decision to make about this next season. It feels like you're in the boat with the disciples and everyone around you is worried and anxious about the future. And, you know, no matter how strong you feel, maybe just them being worried is making you worried. Jesus is with you there too. 
Think about him in the boat. He could have easily let all of the distraction and the chaos surrounding him distract him and you know, make him panic or make him do something that he shouldn't have done as God. But because he is Jesus, he was perfectly calm. He knew he had the power to stop the wind and the waves. And he has that power for us if we trust in him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you, as the scriptures say. And what would it look like for you to trust him more? My friends, whatever season you're in, remember that Jesus is with you to celebrate when you are joyful and to provide peace and security when you're anxious. If you'd please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that right now there are many in here and many of our friends and our family who are celebrating. And God, we pray that you would celebrate with them now. That God, they would feel your presence, that they would hear your laughter. That God, you would, you would celebrate, you would lift them up, you would help them recognize their accomplishments, show them how you have helped them along the way and how you have them in the future. God, we know that there are many in here who may be struggling with anxiety right now who are worried about this next stage of life or this transition or maybe just are worried about tomorrow, God, remind them of your word. Remind them of your care for them. Not just that you command them not to be anxious, but because you provide for them and you care for them. You are sufficient for them. Father, I pray for all my friends here who may not know you, who may be wondering how on earth a person can fight anxiety or how they can be joyful even in difficult times or how they can trust in something that they maybe cannot see. And God, I pray you would open their eyes that they would see you maybe for the first time, that they would embrace you and what you did for them and that they would learn to trust you even in the most difficult times. We pray all these, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.